podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Before you hear the next great podcast, we'd like to tell you about a new 90-second show which distills everything that President Donald Trump has said in the last 24 hours. You're going to lose a number of people to the flu. It's called What Has He Said Now? and is available at wherever you get this podcast. Uh, death totals, our numbers per million people are really uh, very, very strong. We're, we're very proud of the job we've done. Look for a link in this here podcast description or search for What Has He Said Now? in all the usual places. Hello and welcome to Stop Hammer Time in Lockdown. Uh, today is May the 11th and uh, this morning Felipe Anderson woke drenched in sweat from a fevered dream in which he played football for a living. Two months have passed since West Ham last played a game against Arsenal and Mark Noble has just got his breath back. Joining me on uh, Stop Hammer Time this week are, as usual, Jim Grant. Good evening. Hello, Jim. How are things in lockdown for you? Uh, well, I am quite busy, really, because I'm, 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 as it were, at virtual school and, uh, and keeping up with everything, you know, with the remote teaching is quite is I'm finding quite difficult, especially as I'm a kind of technical, technological dinosaur. You know, I'm having to get up to speed with all kinds of, you know, embedding this and doing that and, and whatever with the old uh, technology. So it's, uh, yeah, it's keeping me busy, actually. Google Classroom, are you using that, Jim? No, uh, we use Teams, Microsoft right. Teams, um, which is uh, all right, but people say the, the Google Classroom is better. But Can you, do you have a panel on the screen with lots of tiles, with lots of pictures of the kids in so that you can go... <laughs> Jenkinson, stop fiddling. <laughs> uh, no, and of course, they, 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 the kids, when people do do that, uh, they, they, the kids do dick about a bit, you know, uh, if you're not careful. You have, to, you have to have all the settings so that you're, you are masterfully in control. Now, I kind of tend to break my classes up into little groups and have smaller meetings with them. It's more manageable. Um, it's less me just lecturing them and more them having a chance to have a discussion. So that's how I do it. But. Cyberbullying, Jim? Cyberbullying? Um, well, there might be. <laughs> I'm less likely to be able to do anything about it now. Than, uh, I see. Well, perhaps, perhaps you need to get involved. You need to spy on them. You need some <laughs> kind of spyware, Jim, to spy on the children and stop them uh, bullying each other. Also joining us this week on Stop Hammer Time, it is our favourite legal brain. It is Simon Pentel. Hello, Simon. Good evening. Lovely to uh, speak with you gentlemen again in this um, very crazy Ballardian existence that we're yes. all having to uh, cope with. Yes. Now, uh, you, uh, as, as a QC, as a barrister, are very much in the uh, front office part of the legal system. Uh, presumably, uh, there are no Zoom court cases. Well, there aren't um, fully-fledged trials um, taking place remotely, but there are certain remote preliminary hearings um, for those unfortunate enough to be involved in them. Um, I've managed to avoid that, but I have had with clients and solicitors and, and other counsel um, remote hearings, which is a bit scary because 
Of course, I was carrying on for the first few weeks in in blissful ignorance to the extent that I was quite happy to do my best to resemble Jim Morrison in his I ate my body weight in a boulangerie days. Yes. I therefore can't get on my leather trousers with very overgrown long hair and a full beard before I suddenly shook myself into realisation that people might actually be seeing me on a screen in front of them, <laughs> that I have to do something pretty drastic and pretty quick um, to um, to resolve the situation. Yes. Uh, that's been a bit tough, I have to say, um, and not being in a courtroom for, what, seven weeks now, or this is the sixth week of not being in a courtroom, is the longest I've not been in a courtroom for the entirety of my professional life, which is over 30 years. Good grief. Wow. Now, which West Ham players do we think might have ballooned to the sort of size, to a kind of what I call American size, where <laughs> they have to have a wall of their house taken out and be lifted to uh, to a medical facility with some kind of crane and flatbed truck? I would have thought of Bonner would be a, a yeah, good Yeah, I was going to... Do you? Bonner. You thought of Bonner would, uh, would lard up. That's interesting. Yeah, well, I can just imagine him at home, you know, with all... I'm going to be very... Uh, I'd be accused of xenophobia, but there we are, not for the first time, but... Um, or really unfair archetyping, but um, I'm sure he'd be eating his way through a mountain of pasta, um, and that takes a lot of working off. So yes. I, think, I think he'd be a good bet. Um, Balbuena? Do you think Balbuena might be just drinking 24 cans of strong lager every day and watching TV? Well, if he is, I can tell you one thing, he won't be drinking Corona, will he? No, no, certainly won't. Certainly won't. Um, uh, to this end, I investigated uh, through the website of the club what players are doing in uh, lockdown. I've discovered that um, Ryan Fredericks has now learnt Mandarin. Felipe uh, Anderson is doing an online plastering course because once lockdown finishes, he feels he needs to have a trade of some kind in order to get by. Uh, also, uh, during lockdown, uh, uh, Mikhail Antonio has apparently developed a goal celebration so complex it requires four to six locations and part of it takes place at night. Um, he describes it as the story of a pair of teenage lovers from Sligo whose journey takes them to the hallowed halls of Trinity College. Mikhail uh, <laughs> will, will play both roles. Uh, the celebration requires the whole team to take part, except for Albion Ajeti, who Mikhail says will probably just fuck it up. And in an ambitious know what Trinity College was. Sorry? And wouldn't know how to get to Trinity College either. What, Ajeti or uh, Mikhail? Well, I would have thought both. Mikhail of will have researched it forensically. Yes, of course. I'd expect nothing less from him. Uh, also, uh, there's going to be an ambitious motion capture sequence in which Andy Serkis will play the part of a corner flag. Um, now, uh, also Arthur... any other part of the stadium that he can lay his hands on. Exactly, exactly. Now, uh, Arthur Masuaku, um, he's been doing Joe Wicks's uh, online uh, daily um, exercise routines and is now in love with Joe Wicks. Uh, when Joe Wicks appears on YouTube each morning for his live streamed daily workshop, Arthur now replies to the things that Joe Wicks says, speaking to the television from inside his own television, which he has made from the cardboard box a chest freezer came in. The chest <laughs> freezer is now out in the back garden and is being used by Arthur as a second toilet. Uh, his first original toilet he now uses to shave. Uh, we Wicks says things like, that's it, and last 10 seconds. Come on, Arthur replies with things like, you understand me, Joe, and yes, Joe, I will kill them. 
And also, can we stop for a moment, Joe? I have soiled myself. <laughs> so, Is there so, any uh, chance that Arthur Masawaku might come out of lockdown and resemble a fucking footballer? It's, it's, it's unlikely. I, I think he might resemble a, a, um, a Tom Hanks in Castaway. Uh, <laughs> I think he may... He may have he may have gone feral inside his own house, <laughs> or even Forrest Gump. Yes, run yeah. after run. Yes, yes. I don't. He probably hasn't bought any food. He's probably just now killing uh, rodents that he can attract towards the house and barbecuing them. Um, yes, I, I, I think uh, I, I've got grave, grave reservations about the emotional state Arthur will be in after after uh, lockdown. Um, Phil, I'm just trying to calculate how many shades of shit we're in after this conversation goes public. Uh, yes, yes. Well, I, I, I heard. I mean, that's part of the reason we had you on this week. Oh, thanks for that. Yeah, <laughs> just talk, case, talk a bad name. It's all now, he's actually having a slight discussion uh, about having um, a Tevez Sheffield United uh, legal special edition of this podcast. Uh, well, to, to once and for all go over uh, the Tevez affair from beginning to end and lay to rest any of the questions that are still hanging in the air from that. It's, it's, this seems like to be something that you might be interested in, Simon. Well, it would be something I'd be very interested in. Um, I, I've never actually um, recovered from being let down and not being instructed by West Ham. I cannot for the life of me still understand how, and I really don't like criticising other lawyers because it's always an easy shot, but how anyone ever allowed the tribunal to follow the complete folly of working out the points that we would have got or did get because, because Carlos Tevez happened to play a couple of sparkling games, ignoring the heroics, for example, of Rob Green at, at yeah. the Arsenal, um, yes. ignoring the efforts of, of the particularly the defence, yeah. um, and Did ignoring and ignoring the assistance of the um, officials away at Blackburn, mm. who um, managed to give a goal that plainly didn't go anywhere near the line, yeah. let alone over it, and was but, in fact saved by uh, the aforementioned Tevez. Precisely. Um, and I would have thought that that active itself should have meant that there was two points gone the other way. And well, the we're going to do this. We're going to do this as a special. Flawed. Yeah, we're going to do this as a special, uh, and we're, I think we might wait till we can all be in the same room to discuss it. But um, I think that would be uh, great fun. Yeah, yeah. I, think, I think it will be good fun. Uh, we're thinking of trying to get a Sheffield United fan uh, in as well. So I think that'd be great. I do too. Um, uh, we don't know who yet, but uh, we'll try and find someone. Anyway, um now, as, as we've mentioned a few times on these lockdown podcasts, uh, uh, a great resource for us has been Rob Banks's excellent uh, digitizations of the end of season uh, VHS cassettes from the club. Um, we were talking about the yo-yo years uh, last time we were doing this podcast and I've just got to, I just watched 92-93 today, which is a promotion one. Jim, and I remember you and I walking on the pitch on the last last day. Mm. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, it's a sort of, it's a, I mean, it really is a, it's a good side, that side. 
It's you know when, sometimes when we 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 see a team perhaps from the lower leagues or or in fact when everyone's fit, someone like Bournemouth, uh, we say they're a tidy, they're a very tidy side, and uh, that feels a little bit like damning with faint praise. But that West Ham team is very, it's quick, it's mobile. Robson and Keane on the flanks are really yeah, yeah. good. Um, yeah. It was a well-organised 4-4-2, wasn't it? Yeah, very mobile full-backs, Dixon-Baker. And and quality in central midfield. I mean, actually quite an embarrassment of quality for for that league. Yeah, well, Bishop doesn't play much of it. I mean, it's it's quite often Allen and Butler. Yeah. And uh, uh, um, Bishop comes in sort of at the end, you know, uh, and Bishop had been a fixture in previous seasons. So. Didn't Butler get like the hammer of the year or something in the, in that season? Potts. Or am I, or am I dreaming? Uh, no, Potts uh, gets it. Potts, I think. Oh, OK. Yeah. Yeah. I mean that, and and there's four central defenders play that season, and they're all good. You know, like uh, uh, it seems to start with Martin and Potts. Martin gets injured, so Foster comes in. Perfectly acceptable replacement. You know, surprisingly good, Colin Foster. And um, uh, so, so you have um, Martin Potts, Foster, and then Gale. Gale didn't really play much that season, but um, when anyone was injured, he came in and did a good job. So it was sort of four strong central defenders. Yeah, yeah it's a good team. And, you know, um, bless him, Morley's good. And of course, Allen comes in that season and they, they look, you know, they look like a good front too. Was that, was was that the team that David Speedy joined or did he come in, in yeah, two yeah. after? Yeah, he joins. He yeah. joins the end of that season, and he <laughs> made a difference as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was bloody good, even yeah. though he was old. He was bloody good. He was, yeah, yeah. Uh, because Clive Allen missed a big lump, like two months or three mm. months, sort of just after Christmas. He gets injured, and and he plays in the last couple of games. In fact, I think he scores in that Cambridge game. He did. He yeah. Did. And um, so I think we got Speedy on loan to sort of fill that gap. And I think Steve Jones gets his um, first few runouts that season. Yeah, there were some absolute demolitions of some teams. Weren't there? I think um, it might have been Sunderland at home. It was about 6-0. Yeah, uh, yeah. Bristol City away. We absolutely you know, demolished them. There was um, uh, and, and Clive Allen scored a fantastic volley, I think. There were, there were some really top, top performances in that season. And Robson is terrific. Robson is terrific. You know, yeah. we lose yeah. Slater. Um, Robson comes in uh, um, on a free, I think. Um, he was a Spurs. He was in the Spurs squad, but nowhere near <laughs> the first team. I think it's Spurs. It might be Chelsea. No, it, was, um, it was Spurs. Yeah, he's just nowhere near the first team. He's never going to get a kick. So we just get him on a free transfer. And he's terrific. Here's one for you. I mean, other than you mentioned Clive Allen, in terms of, I've not done, I've not looked at the stats, but other than various Allens who have obviously played for West Ham over the decades, I'd have thought Robson was a pretty good comedy nominator name um, at yes. West Ham. Mark, yeah. Keith, um, yeah. Brian... Yes. And Stuart, just to name but four off the top of my head. Yeah, yeah. 
That's a, that's a, um, a little later in this podcast. We're going to do some elevens, uh, 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 our best elevens. So the, I wonder if it, it cannot conceivably be possible to fill eleven places in a team with the same surname. But um, well, it'd be uh, good to try and get a team with the fewest possible numbers of, of, of surnames. You yeah, that's a good idea. Down yeah. to about four. Yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah. Um, yeah, good idea. Um, well, Robson, Martin, and Alan. Yeah. Um, that takes yeah. us, or that takes us to ten, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, we can um, probably yeah. find one else somewhere else. We're we're home and hosed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's a good idea. Good idea. Um, also, in that season, Dix, Julian Dix, is just on fire. He's fantastic. Gets sent off a few times, but uh, <laughs> he is just terrific. Yeah, I mean, brilliant. Just in that, in that last game, there's that great bit where he just kind of does that kind of one-two and, break, and breaks through and just um, crosses the ball for, I think it's Alan, who just taps it in, isn't it, for the win? Yeah, yeah. For the second goal, anyway. I have to say, I always thought about Julian that because of that whole Terminator shtick and the moments of madness that he, that he um, deployed, um, really often... Um, have obscured the fact that he was such an extraordinarily good footballer and a simply brilliant left back with a delicacy of touch as well. Um, and we all know about his shooting, etc., etc. But unfortunately, the whole, as I say, the whole Terminator thing really, I think, detracts from his overriding ability as a fantastic fucking footballer. I agree, I agree. Yeah. And I think sort of the fans do it as well. And that, that sort of frustrates me, that the fans celebrate the wrong aspect of him. Which is, oh, he's a hard man, he's so hard. It's fantastic. Oh, God, hard as nails. They were proper footballers in those days. Julian Dix, God, he wouldn't take any shit from anyone. And it's like, he's, it's, that's not what's great about him. It's that he's got the talent of a midfielder, but also is a good defender. You know, I mean, it says something that I'm sure, like you, like both of you, I can remember games, and when you actually put it in this context, where we either won or we managed to avoid defeat purely because our left back was so dominant, yeah, both in defensively and going forward. I mean, from left back to actually run a game match after match, yeah. that really is a testament to his sheer ability and his commitment for the cause. Absolutely, absolutely. He he could change a game from the left back position. You know, you, you would see games where Paolo Di Canio, you know, would... would uh, suddenly kind of, you know, the, the the sleeping beast would awaken and he would start to pull the strings in the game. But that's what Julian Dix did a lot. You know, we'd we'd go a goal down or something and he would yeah. just begin to change the game. He would pick the ball up from a roll-up and see what he could do, take it as far as he could. There's a great bit of commentary in one of those seasons. We're playing away in that sort of Argentina kit. And he goes on yeah. this run and the commentator goes... Well, someone's going to have to stop him. <laughs> and he just like yep. breaks three tackles, and then it, I think a goal comes from it. A goal yeah, comes. He, from it. he was fantastic, Julian. Absolutely fantastic. Mm, mm. Yeah. Terrific player. Terrific player. Yeah, and you are right about the sort of, sort of, sort of extension of the kind of thuggish attitude being sort of imposed on him by some fans, which also then led them to embrace kind of this mad idea of Repka as his successor. <clears throat> yeah. 
you know, and and Rebka was was you know half the footballer, and he uh, couldn't tie Julian's bootlaces. I'm yeah. sorry, Rebka was yeah. a effing donkey. Yeah. I, I, I never I never bought into that. No, absolutely. Um, I think though that with Julian, um, it's not a dissimilar situation to Bonzo, because people forget what a fantastic footballer Bill was. He yeah. generally was made of steel, but he won games by taking them by the scruff of the neck. And, you know, I remember, because I'm that age, but in the mid-70s, I think he was our top goal scorer one season, about 13 or 14 goals <coughs> in, in the league. Um, Bill Bill could play anywhere. Yeah, and yeah. Really talented footballer. And it wasn't just about... You know him being made of steel and smashing into people. No. He has so much more to his game, and I think even for Bill, um, and we all love him and worship him, but um, that even detracts from his ability as a footballer as well. Yes, his, his contribution to matches beyond being so tough and being so exuberant and never giving up really does lie in the fact that he could take the ball, hold it, lay it off, get it back again, and could fill any position on the pitch. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. You know, the the songs like the um, Six Foot Two After You songs, yeah. those yeah. accentuate the sort of that he's somehow dangerous and he's a bit of a thug and he's going to, you know, he's going to crunch you in some sort of leg-breaking tackle. But that's not the Billy Bonds I sort of remember watching. There's what, what you know, the, the, if I had to take away a kind of uh, uh, an impression of Bonzo, it's sort of the athleticism and the tempo, the tempo that he lends the game because he's always on the move. He's yeah. always either looking for the ball or he's got great vision, so he's tracking runners. So his defensive uh, you know, qualities are really strong. He's good at tracking runs. He can keep up with, with quite fast runners. But also when he picks the ball up, he begins moves and he well, starts... He, he used to do something you don't see any longer. In, in the, I say in the modern game, I would actually go probably back 20 years, which was to run right through the middle, the length of the field. Yeah. Uh, and and would he would break, you know, he would overcome a couple of tackles. People would run away from him because they're too bloody terrified. And, and, you know, with the long hair flowing behind him, his socks yeah. down by his ankles, just steaming on through, running 40 yards with the ball right through the middle of the field. I mean, just yeah. fantastic. And you just don't see it. I can't no, it's unexpected, isn't it? it? Yeah. Yeah, I mean a lot of a lot of this sort of thing that we're talking about comes from sort of journalistic cliches, doesn't it? The kind of a kind of pigeonholing of or putting, you know, it was very convenient to see him as you know Trevor Brooking's minder, wasn't it? That kind of <laughs> um, and and I, I think you know in the end, it, you, you you're writing journalists are writing reports of games with you know um, deadlines and copied out and and you know it, it, it just. They they put uh, players into little into little boxes, don't they? Really. Well, yeah. I have to I have to say this. You know, in my lifetime at West Ham, um, which is now far too long. I, I wanted to carry on. I hate to add, but um, the two finest players for me that I've ever seen wearing West Ham kits, because I saw them both at their peak, are Bill and Trev, and. Just to make the point, if you ask Billy Bonds who the finest player he's ever seen in Claret and Blue, he will answer Trevor Brooking. And if you ask Trevor, he will answer Billy Bonds. And I think that tells you everything you really need to know about the pair of them. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's take a little break here and uh, we'll be back with our, uh, our West Ham 11s after this message. If you want an e-bike that doesn't look like it's made for the shopping precinct, something that's less Mr Bean and more Steve McQueen, Check out the range of bikes from London-based Cooler King. From dope 250-watt city bikes to Harley Bobber-inspired 750-watt beasts that can tear your face off while leaving your smile intact. Cooler Kings are made in limited numbers, yet highly affordable. Check them out now on the web at cooler.bike or find them on Instagram with hashtag CoolerKingBike. Cooler.bike. E-bikes that are cool AF. Welcome back. Um, while we're on those uh, the videos that Rob Banks puts up, there was one of his, uh, uh, you know, chunks of uh, season review uh, featuring Lee Chapman, probably 93 to 94. And our good friend Graham Patterson, who lives in Amsterdam, he, he said... Um, you know, Chapman, uh, you know, chipped him with a few goals and certainly this highlights package makes him look all right. But he was quite a reviled figure. Why was that? And uh, and I was thinking to myself, yeah, we really didn't like him. I mean, I, I met him uh, not long after that season when he opened his nightclub with Leslie Ash and I literally couldn't shake his hand. I couldn't bring myself to shake his hand. And... Uh, and I said, well, you know, now I'm sort of slightly forgotten, slightly forgotten why and slightly because I don't think we, Jim, you and I, I don't think we ever really were, you know, sort of bought into that kind of disproportionately vitriolic hatred of a player, you know. Uh, um, and, and, you know, I don't think we, uh, I don't think our, you know, our, our hatred of Chapman was particularly venomous. But he d we didn't really like him very much, did we? No, it was one of those almost like kind of uh, chicken and egg things, really. Because when he when he came into the team with Marsh and um, Burrows, mm. they did make an impact. There was no question. There was that win up at Blackburn, and he scored was, quite a few goals. Uh, that game was a critical game, wasn't it? When, yeah. when won Blackburn, and, and, and he scored, yeah. Yeah, and he scored quite a few. He scored a fantastic header against Man City at home. There, That's yeah. right. Um, and the thing is, was that, that he he really did drift in and out of games, didn't he? And he did an awful lot of kind of you know not holding the ball up and uh, you know kind of kind of donkeyish sort of things as well as. Oh yes, that's coming back to me. What one thing he did yeah. do quite a lot was that pointing angrily, going, "I wanted yeah. the ball there." Exactly. Yes, yeah, he's a bit of a prima donna, and yes. and. Um, and a bit arrogant and cocky, and of course, you know, um, there were, he had he, there was a, there was a time when he did get a bit of bit of stick from the crowd, and he reacted badly to it. And he gave interviews afterwards where he said, you know, oh well, that's what he did. The, he did the kind of the kind of kind of made the kind of mistake that Allardyce and other people have made, which is just to um, be a bit sneery about about the crowd, about the fans, yeah. And, and then it it kind of. It kind of snowballed, really, because then it was, became a bit of a vicious circle. And I think he gave. I think he gave up trying. Really, I think yeah. it did get worse. And in that second season, he had his moments, but uh, 
Um, you know, he just he he you know he did. He's just the goals dried up, and uh, I I think he lost. He lost. Yeah, but I, I think in answer to the question you posed, Phil. Um, without trying to be too smart alecky about it and, and um, analysing it to the nth degree, um, I think the, the why he wasn't popular at all, and he wasn't, notwithstanding he played a couple of good games and he scored a couple of important goals, I think was a combination of factors. One, I think there was an element of jealousy that he was married to Leslie Ash or what have you at the time before she underwent rather unfortunate lip surgery. She was a very, very, very attractive woman. Um, but the the Brown at West Ham never really have had love affairs with what I call old-fashioned big centre forwards. All all the forwards, with the exception of Psycho, having said all of that. Yeah. But not but I think is the exception that proves the rule. In the main, the forwards that the fans of West Ham have always taken to their hearts have been small and mobile. Yeah. Um, and we've never really had a a love affair with big centre forward. So if you want to take, we're playing all our yesterdays. But you know, in the eighties, that 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 line that went something like Swindlehurst followed by that Sandy, whatever his bloody name, Sandy Clark. Yeah. You know, these guys were just like sort of donkeys. And this was a crowd that you know had Jeff Hurst, Pop Robson. Yeah. You know, even in the you know thereafter, even little you know, Billy Jennings and Alan Taylor. For, for, mm. for it is sake, we never really did a big centre forward lump it up to him, and he'll do the rest. We've always had our our lovers always been small, mobile players. So yeah. after that, you know, into the eighties, obviously Cotty McAvenny par excellence. But even I think very underrated was Paul Goddard, but a similar sort of finisher. Yeah. Unfortunately, him he got terribly injured, and that, and that really scuppered his career. But We've always preferred that type of forward and never really, um, unlike, for example, Newcastle had this perpetual love affair with Andy Carroll and Malcolm McDonald and Mm. and all those big lumps up front. We've never really done that. And I think that was, he was always battling against that. Yeah. Yeah. You know what sort of player um, uh, Watson was? Because uh, I've never seen film of him, I don't think, even. Um, no, banged him in though, didn't he? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. Was he but a mobile, sort of... mobile back in the day? So I understand. Yeah. 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 Well, mobile. it makes you very hopeful of Jared uh, uh, Jared Bowen, doesn't it? Because it's sort of, yeah. you know, if he's anything like uh, Craig Bellamy uh, or Frank McAvenny or uh, you know, yeah, very uh, big shout by the way, Mr. Whelan's. You really, I mean, anything like. I happen to think that the pair of them are two of the best forwards. I've yeah. seen West Ham Me too. in a short period of time. Me um, too. But that's a, they were both fantastically able players. Yeah, so, but there's some encouraging signs from Bowen, the kind of the runs, <laughs> and trying to sort of find space in channels and diagonal runs across the box. Yeah, he's a typical what I call West Ham forward. He's exactly yeah. what I'm talking about. Yeah. Small, mobile, you know, um, anticipation, and that's that's his game. Mm. Yeah, I've got high hopes, high hopes, but um, please don't let them be dashed. Uh, Now, now, um, 
we haven't done one of these for a couple of weeks. And in the interim, uh, I did um, uh, uh, Russ Budden, Russ, uh, DJ Russy B's uh, West Ham United uh, 11 um, YouTube. It's a sort of YouTube channel uh, with uh, vids on of West Ham fans uh, describing their, their top 11 West Ham players uh, in certain categories. And Russ, Russ has uh, a couple of uh, rules. You have to have seen them play, and it has to be a sort of 4-4-2 uh, formation. So after the last one of these, which, in fact, we did with Russ, uh, I went on it. Now, you can find it at um, uh, My Hammers 11, uh, My, capital M, Y, capital H, A, M, M, E, R, S, all run together, and then 11, the number 11, rather than X, I. And that should get you to his YouTube channel, and you can subscribe to it. There's some up there already. Uh, so I was one of the early ones, and Russ was saying, you know, so that we don't just have the same sort of, you know, Bonds, more Decanio, the same 11 Hurst all the time, perhaps pick a category. I, um, uh, I'm only going to talk about this very quickly because you can go and see it on the YouTube channel, but uh, I picked a, a an EU West Ham United 11, which, of course, now means... No Britons in it. And Can I just uh, ask you, Phil, before you do, is that EU as in, because um, the con, as in the European Union, or is it more like Eurovision? Um, because it would have a, a a significance if it were for, if I was picking a, a Eurovision team as opposed to classically a European nation team. It's the European nations. Eurovision now has Australia in it, doesn't it? Well, that's why, but it also has Israel, and you can Israel, see what I'm Yes, of course, yes, yeah. Dana International uh, was a Euro winner from Israel, wasn't she? Um, I wasn't thinking musically, I hasten to add. No, I was no, no. Purely, purely West Ham based, because yeah, I could think yeah. of two obvious candidates in that, in, in that circumstance. Yes, yes. Uh, of course, a West, Ham, a West Ham United 11 that were musical. Slaven Village. Slaven Village. I bet Ian Bishop plays a bit of acoustic guitar late night in his wherever he lives. Didn't he get in trouble for something like that once? Quite possibly. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Late night. Yeah. That, that, that's euphemism to the nth degree. Yes. Let's swiftly. So my EU West Ham eleven. I was to talk about it quickly. Um, yeah. The, the troublesome position in it was left back, which I'll come to. Of course, in goal, uh, we've got an embarrassment of riches from the European yeah. Union because that would give you uh, Lucas Fabianski, uh, Bernard Lama, who I seriously considered making my goalkeeper, um, Adrian. But I decided to go with Ludek Miklosko, uh, of course, from the Czech Republic. Um, now, central central midfield, uh, sorry, sorry, central defence. Uh, you could have, of course, had Manuel da Costa, who I like the look of. Uh, obviously, uh, he had some unenlightened attitudes to women uh, that were slightly worrying. Um, but he didn't get quite the crack of the whip I would have liked to have seen. Another one who I thought was terrific, and we were too tight-fisted to actually pay for him, was Hanu Tiernan. Yeah. Really good. And we were struggling at that time because we had just sold Rio and we bought... Um, Rigobert Song, Christian Daly, and 
Oh, someone else in central defence. Um, you know, that's not, like losing a that's like losing a Rolls Royce and picking up a battered old mini, isn't it? Yeah, and Tiernan looked good. Uh, but in the end, I sort of thought, let's get the old gang back together. Mark Reaper and Slaven Bilic. Yeah. Denmark. Yeah. Unarguable. Unarguable. Yeah. yeah. Czech Republic, Slaven Bilic. They were a good team. Uh, they're both good players. Uh, you do need all these guys to be at their best. I do hasten to add. Uh, Who did left you go back? Far right back. Who did you go right, far right back? back? Yeah. We could, of course, had uh, uh, the suave and sophisticated Guy Demel from France, or we could have had Denmark's Lance Jakobsen. Uh, but of course, I went with France's Sebastian Schemmel. Of course, playing yeah. on the form of his only good yes. season. Yes, you'd have to have it on that basis, wouldn't you? And a hammer, and a hammer of the year season too, if I remember. Yeah, right. absolutely. Yeah. Well, my eleven is five hammers of the year and one runner-up. So six of my 11 players placed in the hammer of the year. Now, left back, very difficult. Very difficult. Uh, the only one I can think of is Vladimir Labant. Well, if, if I'm going to interrupt you, if you're going to talk about when they played at their best, although when he played for us um, a few months ago, he was past it and bleeding just dreadful, of course, would have been Patrice Edva. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes, that's good, yes. He never yeah. played for us at his best, but when he was, I mean, he's just a shoo-in. Yes, yeah. yes, I forgot Always about good. him, I have to yeah. say. Labant, however, was Labant was uh, good and was an incredibly highly prized footballer at the time we bought him. And in fact, he plays quite a lot in the season we finished seventh. And then, in a typically Glenn Roder way, uh, he is just, he's frozen out the following season because we get uh, Rufus Brevin. Yeah, and, uh, uh, Labant was um, he played for both Prague teams, and when he arrived at West Ham, was a quite a highly sought after footballer. And uh, Rhoda just lost interest in him in uh, the season that we went down. Um, so it's quite extraordinary. He um, so so he's my left back, and I stand by that. I think he was uh, he was all right. Uh, now it's got to be four four two. So I thought. Traditional wingers are probably the best way to go in a 4-4-2 thing because I did think about Alessandro Diamanti on the left. But I thought, I can't remember what Vladimir Labant was like, whether he was pacey, so we might need a bit of backup. So I thought a, a more meat and potatoes left winger, Mark Keller from France. Good player. French international, you know, uh, Good player. He was actually sort of Skippy's understudy, really. Uh, didn't get to play as much as he would have liked, I, I doubt, because Skippy kept him out of the team. Because Skippy didn't, he, didn't Mark Keller score an absolute perler? He did. He stuck one in for about 30 yards. He did. I can't remember who, against whom, but he scored an absolute belter. Yes. I, I, my instinct says Leicester. You may well be right. I think you're right. Yeah, it might have been. Yeah. yeah. Sort of Muzzy Is It era Leicester. Yeah, yeah. I, I think, think that's it could have been Leicester. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, at right back, now again, the uh, having to be at the peak of their career rule very much applies. We only saw glimpses of this, but Julian Faubert. You know, Schemmel and a high-functioning Faubert up the right, boy, that's, that's pretty good. 
Uh, but you know, we just uh, he, we he was injured the second we bought him. Um, uh, central midfield uh, for the legs, Volombe Army. My other option could be uh, um, Obiang. But I've gone with uh, uh, Valon Berami. What do we think about that? Well, um, I would say this. Um, if I know it's, if it were Eurovision, I would certainly be included El Berkowitz and um, Yossi Benayoun, one on the right and yes. in the middle. I always like Thomas Hitzelsberger. Yeah. Although he was injured and we didn't see enough of him. And not that he would make my 11, but I think we didn't see enough of him. Um, but do you remember he was one of a Harry signing called Christian Basila? Yeah. He, yeah, was, yeah. I looked he, him he was like a fucking wardrobe, the bloke. Yeah. Mm. But he could play. And I don't know quite, I never worked out what quite happened with him. But I really remember watching him first, when he first came out for us. And I thought, blimey, we've got the next Patrick Vieira. But it didn't Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. Harry put him on. But I, I always had a soft spot for Christian Basila. Yeah. Well, the reason I've got, because it's 4-4-2, uh, and the reason um, I've got Valon Barami is for the legs and the constant hustle, because I think he's got to uh, create some room and protect uh, Dimitri Paye, who is his partner in central midfield. Yeah. Um, so I think you need uh, that kind of hustle uh, to give Paye space to wave his magic wand. Uh, then up front, uh, two hammers of the year. Uh, they picked themselves in a way. Paolo Di Canio. Um, yeah. Now, there was a formula that I was going to sort of force Paolo to play wide right and possibly um, include Alessandro Diamanti either as up front or uh, move Pae to be part of the front too. There was another formula to include Diamante, but uh, I haven't gone for that one. Additional wingers, Paye and Barami in the middle, Dicanio up front, and his partner would be Marko Arnautovic. Yeah. Well, it's a very, I, I say this, um, on its face, it's an interesting team, if for no other reason, it would have to play, I would have thought, with um, four balls. One yes. for Arnautovic, one for Dicanio, one <laughs> for Payet, and one for the rest of the buggers to share. Yeah, it's very attack-based. <laughs> Uh, also, no one's ever going to head the ball. <laughs> well, they're not. But I tell you one name that um, it just occurred to me, who I really think was a phenomenally underrated player, and I really loved him. I thought he was technically brilliant. It was Francois Van der Elst at the beginning of the eighties? Oh yes, um, yes, yeah. yes, yes. yes. Terrorises, of course, um, in the in the um, European Cup Winners' Cup final in '76, playing for Anderlecht, but. Um, was a really, really great footballer, very yes. accomplished, um, and, and could finish as well. I thought he was marvellous, Frankie van der Elst. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, he, he was. was. He was. Now, um, uh, you two have been uh, charged with uh, fielding West Ham 11s of your own. Who wants to yeah. go first? I'll go first if you like. Jim? So, yeah, so, Jim, what, what is your West Ham 11? Well, my West Ham 11 is is uh, a British Isles uh, 11, excluding uh, England. Aha. Uh -huh. so, so, Gauls, uh, Gauls and Celts. Yes, yes. But mm -hmm. I've included the, the Republic of Ireland. <clears throat> you well. have to. Right. Um, 
So um, uh, instantly you run into a little bit of a problem um, with goalkeeper. Is not the, not going to be the strongest position, whoever you choose. Um, I thought about Roy Carroll. Yes. Uh, um, I thought about Tom McAllister, but I went for Bobby Ferguson. In of course. The, yes. Yeah. A loyal servant to the club and a decent, decent keeper. Yeah. And, um, could, could play or, or, and did play um, upfield. Mm-hmm. Um, what was the game? Was it at home against Stoke where he got injured? Yeah. There was one sub in those days. We brought the sub on. Somebody else played in goal, and Bobby Ferguson sort of played on the wing or something. Oh, right, okay. Yeah. Remember. Yeah, well, I only saw him a few times in those early, you know, it was my early days. Um, right back is a no-brainer, and pick yeah. up, that's Ray Stewart. Of course. Uh, left back, well, we've had quite a few, um, but... Um, Again, no really super outstanding candidate. In the end, I, I, I rejected uh, names like Chris Hutton and Keith Rowland, and uh, I went for George McCartney. Yep. He's Northern Irish, isn't he? Yes. 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 Well, you can't have him strictly then, can you? Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Why not? Uh, because he's part of Great Britain. Oh, yes. Yeah, not English. Sorry. Yes, of course. Yeah. No, you're Wait, right. right. Yes, you're denying you're right. me the very basis on which yes. I, I... Sorry, yes, I was thinking... Right. Yeah, sorry, I was still yeah. thinking about... Phil, still thinking about my... Phil, Phil has just broken <laughs> up the United Kingdom and we all missed yeah. it. I thought I McCartney right. was, a, was a decent left-back. Yeah, uh, it was. Like to get forward, put a ball, decent ball in, um, and, and a tough tackler. Yeah. yeah. I thought he was OK. Um, so I feel we're pretty solid there. Um, in central defence, again, um, there's not really an embarrassment of riches when you think of names like Malky Mackay and Gary Breen and yes. uh, Melville and you know. Um, yeah. But I, uh, and I thought a bit about Christian Daly as a kind yeah. of loyal club man, but really, I've gone for a I've gone for a solid Welsh dragon in the. Centre of the defence. I've got James Collins. Well, that's a good choice. Danny Gabidon. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. I think you've got your big, towering, aerial, you know, battler in Collins and a good ball playing um, sweeper type centre. Yeah. Gabidon. I think that back four is a bit underrated. That's a decent back four, I think. Yeah, it picks itself. Very good. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, I'm going to go. I'm going to. I'm going to come back to the midfield, and I'm going to go up front because I think up front picks itself as well. So do I. We've yes. Already, we've already go on. mentioned them. It's yes. got to be uh, Frankie Mac, and it's got to be Craig Bellamy. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. Uh, but you know, good, good shouts for Hartson, um, and and I liked Dave Connolly when he played for us for a while. But those two are in a in a in a. And a different are, yes. class, to be in honest. fact, I would have played Hartson and McAvenny as a two, and and I would have had Bellamy um, in the same wide. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I thought about that. I thought about that. Um, so, because um, actually, to be honest, the flanks are possibly another area of you know not great strength. Um, on the right, I've put uh, Michael Hughes. Yeah, very good. 
Um, on the left, uh, well, I thought about, I also liked Hutchison. I, I wanted to try and get Don Hutchison into the team. But actually, on the left, I've gone for I, someone I really, really increasingly like and admire. You're not going to be so pleased with me, I don't think, Simon. Uh, I've put Snodgrass on the left. Yeah, I know. I would have gone with Liam Brady. Uh, right, yeah. well, I've put Brady in the middle. Okay. I've put Brady in the middle, and I've put uh, Steve Lomas alongside Brady. In the- yeah, I think Lomo picks himself. I, I would have played Hutchinson in the middle alongside Lomas and played Liam Brady on the left, <laughs> and um, Bellamy on the right with uh, with with um, Hartson and Frankie Mack up front. Yeah, yeah, all good shouts. They were all yeah. Good side, actually. Whichever way you slice it, that's actually Good a very yeah, yeah. bad squad. Yeah. Um, and there really isn't much else. Some of the list of our uh, British Isles players is pretty, pretty grim, you know. Yeah, slim picking. But that's a good, yeah. that's a good, that's a good team, though. Yeah, i tell you who, who I always liked, and I thought he got the rough end of the stick, actually, was David Kelly. Yeah, do you think? Yeah, I think, actually, he was quite a tidy player. His problem was he wasn't, he never played off anybody that could do any real work for him um i think he could turn very well i thought he's a really tidy player but he was never going to be good enough to play on his own up front had to really play in a two or a three um and i thought he was okay i mean look when you're talking about the likes of craig bellamy and and frankie mcvenny for god's sake it ain't even a race but i just thought and of course there's jack collison Yes, so he's, yes. He's, yes, he's on my sub bench. Uh, good player. Yeah. Well, so was, you know, we 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 had basically from after the boys of '86 sort of years through to signing Hartson and Kitson, we always sort of struggled up front. Hence the conversations about mm. Lee Chapman, yeah. Alex Bunbury, and stuff like that. And somebody I always, whenever I saw him play for us, and he didn't seem to get that many opportunities, but I thought he was all right. Was Jimmy the Tree? Oh, uh, Jimmy Quinn. Yeah, I, I yeah. thought he was. All, I always thought he's all right. I, I, I mean, I don't think I paid as much attention to sort of injuries at the time, and I don't know if Jimmy the Tree was injured a lot, but it did seem that we were struggling for firepower up front, and whenever he played, he seemed to do an okay job, and I sort of thought he seemed to get a slightly um, unfair crack of the whip. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I mean, I've got to say this about about him, you know. To, to quote, or not to misquote, but to use a quote that was once aimed at somebody else, um, I take your point, but if he was any more limited, he'd have been quoted on the stock exchange, wouldn't he? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I have a soft spot for him, though. Yes, interesting. Well, that's a good team, Jim. That's a good yeah, team. not bad, I think. Not bad. Uh, Simon, what was your, what's, what were you, what's your team? Well, you... You gave me a, a West Ham homegrown 11. Um, but that's right. with, Yes, that with, is right. With the um, clearest proviso that I had to have seen them play, um, and I, I've got to say it was the easiest bloody thing I've ever had to do. Um, I, I wish every day my single task of the day was as easy. Um, and looking at it, um, I actually was there for a number of their debuts. Um, so in advance, with apologies to Alvin Martin, who I wasn't sure would qualify because he actually started off as a, as a youth player at Everton and then we nicked him from Merseyside. And with equal apology to Michael Carrick um, and to Mark Noble, um, as a West Ham homegrown 11, I have gone as follows. Um, I was there for his debut and that was Mervyn Day. 
Wow, yes, good. On a Monday night when no one had ever heard of him, Bobby Ferguson was injured. I think Peter Grotier was injured. And this young 17-year-old came out between the sticks and never lost his place for six years thereafter. <laughs> uh, of course, got completely shell-shocked um, in, what was it, the 76-77 season when he got lobbed by Ronnie Goodless of Everton from about 30 yards, and he never recovered from it. But uh, Mervyn Dane goal, um, I think the back four... Um, speak for themselves with the yeah. apologies again to Alvin um, Glenn Johnson as the right back um, Frank Lampard Sr. as the left back and the middle of the defence those two really rubbishy footballers otherwise known as Bobby Moore and Rio Ferdinand That's <laughs> um, <laughs> a hell of a back four isn't it? It's, it's, yeah. it's actually quite extraordinary um, but if you think that's good wait till you get to the midfield um, because I've gone um, a little bit narrow, but I've gone talking of seeing people on their um, debuts. Um, of course, saw Rio, Joe Cole, um, Frank Lampard Jr., Paul Ince, and um, his lordship, Brooking. Very good. That's, yeah. a, that's a talented set of players. <laughs> and up front, up front, and it speaks for itself, um, Jeff Hurst, um, and again was there for his debut when he came out on New Year's Day uh, 83, um, when we had no one up front, and this little 16, 17-year-old ran out with the team, engendering the reception from the home fans, which were packed because we were home to Spurs on that New Year's Day, of we've signed the mascot. Um, <laughs> he silenced the doubters after about 20 minutes when Ray Clements flapped at a corner and, like a rocket, stuck it in the onion bag, as they say, from about six yards, and the legend of Tony Cotty was born. Yeah, great. So, um, as a homegrown 11, it's quite mouth-watering. Yeah, and pretty think, good. And I think demonstrates certainly for West Ham, that with there are exceptions um, in both your 11s, and we can always find the odd one, such as Di Canio and Dixie. But in the main, all our great players, Ray Stewart, of course, as well, but all our great players um, have been homegrown. And I think that tells a story in itself that they have been. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it's a shame some of those kind of, you know, there is a story of, 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 of that lack of ambition that led to the, we've talked about it so many times, mm -hmm. you know, uh, if, if some of those careers had, 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 had lasted yeah. for us. Well, it's a lack of ambition, Jim, yeah. that goes back, I'm sorry to say, long way, yeah. to, the, to the late 60s. You know, let's not forget, we must, have been, we must be the only club team that jokingly won, that won the World Cup, but, but had three World Cup players in it. World Cup winners in it. At the same time they were at West Ham, Trevor Brooking was coming through. Billy Bonds was there. Johnny Sissons. You know, and we never finished higher than sixth. You know, yeah. in the whole of the 1960s. I mean, I'm sorry, but it's an effing insult. Yeah, yeah. And well, then it came you know, in the 70s and the 80s. And, and of course, yeah. I always say, as I'm bound to, the difference between Manchester United as a tour de force of, of British football and and truthfully West Ham is that from their class of 92 that they always bang on about 
um, you know, Neville, Neville, Skulls, Butt, um, Giggs and Beckham. When you think that at the same time, or thereabouts, shortly thereafter, we had Rio, Frank, Joe Cole, Michael Carrick, Jermaine Defoe and Glenn Johnson. Yeah. They kept all of theirs and built a bleeding team around it. We had to sell all ours to pay the fucking tax man. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, you know, got sort of relegated uh, in in slow motion by, by in, a, in a way that everyone could see it happening because of a lack of kind of strengthening and, uh, um, you know, uh, in, in terms of uh, Rhoda probably strengthening might be the choice of manager rather than, um, you know, buying footballers, but also in a way not not spending the Rio money wisely on a pair of central defenders, having, you know, been good defensively and just allowing our defence to fall to pieces. And then, you know, similarly, you know, losing Paul Lentz by getting relegated, you know. Well, that, yeah, I mean, I'm just going to say this because you spoke about it, I think, the other week or a couple of weeks ago, um, and I messaged you. You know, I think Incy gets a really um, an, an unfair um, attack from West Ham fans because... Yep. Um, I've represented Paul and his agent at the time. And the story that comes out of it is, is simply this, and I don't want to bore you about it, but first of all, Paul Ince never actually wanted to leave West Ham. And Paul Ince had refused to have an agent, didn't see why I needed one. Um, but equally, Paul was very, very close to John Lyle. John, Paul's dad left when he was a knee-high to a grasshopper, so he never, never had a father in his life. And John Lyle became his surrogate father, even would, um, you know, pick him up and take him into training on his way in in the mornings because Incy was home life was dreadful. Um, so they were very, very close. He was completely uh, taken aback. And when John Lyle got sacked, yeah. and the team got relegated and they sacked John Lyle and he had resisted any agent and the story I'm giving you is from the mouth of Ambrose Mendy, make of it what you will, that NC contacted him and said, now I need an agent. They went to see Cairns, and Cairns' question was, well, what do you want? And NC and in the boardroom at West Ham said, my words, not his, but what he meant, can you please reinstate John Lyle? Yeah, yeah, And that's what broke the straw. And the reason that Ince went to Man United was because, of course, John Lyle and Alex Ferguson were very, very close friends. And when John Lyle left West Ham, contacted Alex Ferguson and said, look, I'm a goner. Um, we have a kid here. Please, you've got to take him because somebody else is going to ruin him. You've got to take him. Man United and West Ham agreed to deal. The plan at Man United was that on the Monday they had signed um, Gary Pallister and broke the British record for uh, a transfer fee. And they were going to sign Paul Ince on the Tuesday and beat the record that they'd set the previous day by £100,000. Ince, of course, therefore, um, posed for the normal pictures you would expect to be released to the media, but failed his medical. And therefore, the deal didn't happen. Yes, that's right. And the the picture became a library picture that somebody very naughtily released when Incy had to come back to West Ham um, in order to retake his medical and sign to Man United on a deal that was basically a pay-as-you-play um, rather than the original 2.2 million that it was going to be. 
So he was far more sinned against than he was sinned in all of any complicity on his part with that photograph coming out. And he was completely yeah. destroyed by it. <laughs> had nothing to do with him and probably had a lot more to do with um, dint of circumstance that the child yeah, yeah. didn't go through when it should have and someone being very naughty with a library picture. But that's yeah. how these things happen. And I think it's been very, very unfair, the abuse he's taken, because he's yeah. a local lad, um, you know, grew up not far from where I grew up, and I have a great deal of, 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 of sympathy, um, is a fantastic footballer. And if he failed as a manager, I'd say this about Incy. The reason Incy failed as a manager are two things. One, he can't do technology in a technological age. But two, every club he has managed, he has suffered from the blight of being the best bloody player in the team. Yeah. Um, even at Blackburn, and I went to see them see training, and he stood out like a beacon in a fog. He was so damn good, in the same way that Gianfranco Zola, when his short-lived time in, in charge at West Ham, was the best player on, on the staff. So yeah. we see at Blackburn and Milton Keynes Dons and ultimately at Notts County when there were players half his age and he was just making them look like idiots. So well, the, bulk of, uh, the bulk of Ince's appearances really for West Ham were in that relegation season, weren't they? And, and, and I mean, I remember in games like that just going, you know, this kid's amazing. This kid's Well, that goal he scored against Aston Villa, which is always, always part of the West Ham history is actually quite fantastic. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And he looks slight, but he was, his ability to roll a big tackle um, or a body check is quite remarkable. And he yeah. had really great feet. He was fearless. And he was always going to have a stellar career. And I just think it's really tragic. And I go back to what, you know, his regular theme for me, that, the, that West Ham is a study in failure. And a study in failure of executive management, because if the executive management throughout all the years I've been over there ever knew what the hell they were doing, we would be an absolute powerhouse club. Um, and it makes me really sad to think that yesterday, 40 years ago, um, obviously was the anniversary of his last winning the FA Cup. And yeah. I remember going to the game. Um, I was a schoolboy in the same school that Trevor Brooking had been been at. And, of course, it was pandemonium at school um, when we won the Cup and he scored the only goal. But if anyone would have told me on my way back from Wembley that afternoon, um, feeling as delirious as I can ever remember feeling in my entire life, um, that we would never again for 40 years win a Cup, I would never have believed it. No, no. And I think we're a study in failure, but the failure is a failure of executive management because it is completely cyclical time and time and time again. It and that's the only common denominator. Yeah. Gentlemen, we have to uh, wrap this podcast up on that uh, slightly sad note. Um, <laughs> But, uh, yes, um, well, once we can all meet in the same room, I think we should have the, uh, the, 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 quite, yeah. the yeah. quite forensic uh, Tevez uh, podcast. But uh, those are some very good West Ham 11s there. Uh, do uh, head towards uh, uh, Russ Budden's uh, My Hammers 11 YouTube site. Uh, it's very good. Jim, you're doing it this week, I believe. I am doing it this week. Yes. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. Um, well, that's about it, gentlemen. Uh, any, any further thoughts? 
Stay safe. Exactly. Stay safe. Before we go, I was sent actually whilst whilst we've been doing this podcast, I was sent, as you are at the moment, a constant stream of supposed funnies. But this one I did like, um, and I'll forward it to you afterward. But um, just I hope I do it justice. Um, it is in the form of one of those official government.uk um, oh, yeah. things, you know, with a the, with the crown. Ask a question at the coronavirus press conference. Submit your question. What is your question? And, it's, and it advises, try to keep your question as short as possible. Do not include any sensitive personal information like your national insurance number or credit card details. And the question is as follows. You say we're allowed to play sports with members of the same household. But my wife is shit at football and I don't want her on my team. How do I tell her? (laughs) Excellent. Very good. Very good. Uh, Excellent. Well, uh, this has been it for this week's uh, Lockdown Stop Hammer Time. Uh, My name is Phil Whelans. With me this week have been Jim Grant. Cheerio. And Simon Pentel. It's been a pleasure once again. All the very best. Come on, you irons. Wasn't that a great podcast? Now, if you've got 90 seconds spare in your day, come and listen to ours. It's called What Has He Said Now? and is available wherever you got this podcast. You're going to lose a number of people to the flu. This is a playback media production. Get all the associated links for this podcast at westhampodcast.com. Sports Social Podcast Network. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC. Member SIPC. 